Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good to see you in the room. Good to see you online. Well, it's good for you to see us. We can't see you, but we're hoping you can see us. If you're listening on the radio, we welcome you. I just wonder if anybody can remember what they were doing 18 years ago this morning. Oh, sure, it comes right back to mind. I bet you will if I tell you 18 years ago yesterday, Hurricane Charlie hit, August 13th. Oh, I know this morning, August 14th, I was standing in line at Northern Tools to get a generator and a chainsaw. You know, and then I went home and I did what we Floridians do. You know, We get the generator fired up, then we get the chainsaw fired up, and then we start sawing limbs. We had five big trees went around our house, and, and so we're sawing, and I'm up in trees sawing limbs, and, and uh, I did it about an hour, and I was watching my 18-year-old son drag limbs to the road while my 47-year-old body tried to climb trees, <laughs> and there was a shift in my thinking. <laughs> I thought, this isn't the way this should be. So I came down, I handed him the chainsaw, I said, be careful, and I spent the rest of the day dragging limbs to the road. All of us, there will come a time, no matter who we are or what we do, that we had to hand off some things to somebody else. And so we started this series last week called Leader Shift. And it doesn't matter if it's you're the leader in your home or at work or you're just leading some friends through life. Whatever it is, there are impactful things we can do to make sure that someday those who come behind us, whether it's way down the road or right behind us, are successful. And that's what we're looking for. And last week, Matt talked about Moses and Joshua and how that handoff went so well because Moses did some some key things to make sure that that happened. This morning, we want to look at the life of David. David, who was a king of Israel for 40 years, he went from being a shepherd to a warrior to king. He was a king for 40 years, and then he had a successful transition to his son, who was also king then for 40 years. And there's some things I think we can learn from him if we look in Scripture about that leader shift. Um, David's mentioned more than 1,100 times in the Bible. He's a pretty popular guy. People know when you say King David, who we're talking about. Most people know because he killed who? Goliath, yeah. That was one of the many that he killed. But he killed Goliath. And, and we know that he was like a, a warrior. Uh, most of his story we find in First and Second Samuel, First Kings and First Chronicles, those four books. And we see some intentional things and some things that happened that made the transition smooth for Solomon. And so our big idea for today that I think we can learn and we can begin to apply right away is that good leaders are always looking downstream. If you're a guest, we use the terms upstream and downstream frequently here, and you're going to hear a lot this morning. And the idea is in our life, wherever we are in the moment, we're standing in the stream, and there's a lot of stuff that happened upstream, good stuff and bad stuff. And some of it is so far upstream, we're not aware of it. For example, in November this year, this church will be 99 years old. I don't think any of you were there. I think John Meredith joined the second year. But it was like, we we weren't there. But those people 
a lot of things that they did make it possible for us to be in the room this morning. The people that came before us. And so that's an upstream thing. Sometimes it's so far upstream we don't see it. Sometimes it's right upstream and we're aware of it. And the same thing downstream. Sometimes we can see what our decisions and our activities and our choices are doing immediately downstream from us. And then sometimes it's way down around the bend. And those are the things we can look forward to. Things we might never know. I know some of you because you've told me that you're the first Christian in your family. You've changed your family tree downstream. Someday, some little boy or girl is gonna say, mommy, why do we go to church? Why do we love Jesus? Why are we Christians? And they're gonna say, well, because your great-great-grandmom or your great-great-grandfather started going to church at First Christian. And now we follow Jesus and know the joy of that. Downstream is so important for us to live with awareness of. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So I just want to give you five lessons that we learned. Okay, if you're taking notes, these are pretty simple. Five lessons from David. The first one, we need to be thankful for good upstream influences in our lives. Thankful for those good upstream influences. David was a follower of God from a young man, so we're not told, but we assume his father Jesse was, and that was passed down from his father and mother. He had the prophet Samuel in his life, the judge Samuel, that was around him and had influence in his life. We all have those people upstream from us, whether it was a coach, family member, friend, whatever, that impacted our life. In 1989, I was the student, youth, children's, and worship pastor at a church in Indiana. And the lead pastor here at the time was named Jeff Metzger. And Jeff called me and he said, hey, I want you to come to Fort Myers and be a discipleship pastor. I said, I have no idea what that is. No, thank you. And over the next six or seven months, we talked and then it became pretty clear that Linda and I were supposed to be in Fort Myers. So we came as the discipleship pastor in October of 1989. I began to work and try to figure out what discipleship was, and about four months later, Jeff said, you know, let's fine-tune that a little bit. Be the small groups pastor. Now, you have to understand, we use those terms a lot today in church world, small group and discipleship. Back then, nobody said those things. So discipleship wasn't a word that was popular in church. Small groups, definitely, that first time in 1990, nobody was talking about small groups. We were a pretty traditional church here. We were meeting over in the family center, and we were pushing for years Sunday school and church. Be here for Sunday school, be here for church. Be here two hours on Sunday. Be here for Sunday school and church. Now, my job was to tell people, don't come to Sunday school, come to church, and go to a house group during the week. Yeah, that didn't go over so well. Because people were like, well, that's just stupid. It was very biblical, but we had so ingrained Sunday school and church that two years later, I had four groups. I had one, my wife Linda had one, Jeff had one, and his wife Teresa had one. And I went into his office one day, and I was broken. I had failed miserably, and I said, what do you see me doing five years from now? You'll be the greatest small groups pastor in the state of Florida. And I said, I quit. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And he, in his wisdom and graciousness, said, what do you want to do? I said, let me be the children's pastor. He said, okay. And so from 92 to 95, I was a children's pastor. Now, also during that time, Jeff was and still is one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And everybody in the country wanted Jeff Metzger to come and speak at their church or at their conference. So he was gone. So I was preaching 12 or 13 Sundays a year, something that I did not want to do and did not enjoy doing at the time. 
And so I'm preaching and he's gone. And during that six years also, Jeff was moving us from a very traditional church to looking more like we look today. And to give you a picture, I mean, we had an organ on the stage with big pipes hanging on the wall. I didn't know for a couple years till John told me they were fake. There were speakers in them. They looked like pipes. I thought it was a pipe organ. But people were impressed. We had pipes on the wall. We had a grand piano. We had a choir in robes every Sunday. We had all the fancy pulpit furniture covered in blue velvet. It was an amazing, that was who we were. And then Jeff put a keyboard on the stage. You'd have thought Satan showed up. I mean, it was like, we don't need that. You know, the hate mail starts coming and all this stuff. And then so he said, well, let's start a contemporary service. So then we had a contemporary service with drums and guitars. And again, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'll never give to this church again. The, the anonymous hate mail, all that was coming. And so we went through, they called them the worship wars back then, you know. And uh, most churches had to go through those. Well, in 95, Jeff gets called to a church in New Jersey. And the guys asked me, they said, hey, will you be an interim pastor while we look for a lead pastor? I said, sure. So I did that two or three months, and then they came back and go, listen, Gary, we can't find anybody else. Would you just do it? So I said, sure, I'll just do it. So I did, and, and things took off. I mean, the church began to grow, and people would say, and then we added a second contemporary, then a third contemporary. We were doing four services on Sunday morning, and people were going, oh, you guys are killing it. And I would give them the same answer probably the first 10 years. I would say, Jeff Metzger wears the scars for our success. I did not, to use a farming analogy, the ground was easy for me. I didn't have to plow new ground. I didn't have to dig out any stumps. I didn't have to move any rocks. He went through all that pain ahead of me upstream. So when I stepped in, it was easy and things took off. All of us have somebody like that. And everybody needs somebody like that ahead of them. So that upstream, they can be a blessing in his handoff. So somebody upstream in your life probably was a huge benefit to you. Lesson number two, don't let bad upstream experiences continue through you. Don't let the bad ones continue. David coming to be king was not a good transition. David was anointed king when he was about 15. Samuel told him he was gonna be king. He kills Goliath. Then he marries Saul's daughter. He becomes a commander in Saul's army. Everybody wants to be on his team because David always wins. And Saul's sitting on the throne and he's like, David, David, David. All everybody talks about is David. You know, and he's like, yeah, you that are older got the Partridge family thing there, didn't you? The Marsha, Marsha. I just thought I'd throw it out there for you. And uh, actually it was so bad that in 1 Chronicles 19, the first two or three verses of that chapter, Saul calls in his private people and he goes, listen, I want him killed. David has to be killed. And David takes off. He hides in the cave. He has to leave his home, leave his wife. He's hiding for the next few years. He doesn't get crowned king till he's 30. For 15 years, he's waiting to be king. And up to the day he becomes king, Saul did nothing to help him. In fact, it's like Saul never said, hey, David's gonna be a good king. Hey, I can't wait till David's king. Saul gets killed in battles. The only way David gets to be king. Probably most of us have something upstream that happened like that. 
And David, because that's the only experience of transition or leadership for him, very well could have said, well, Saul did that to me. That's what I'm going to do to the next guy. And he didn't. Because Saul had done that to him, I think David was like, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to hand it off. That's not the way to help the person that comes behind me. Whether we're leading our family or work or a team or just a group of friends, at some point we have to stand in the river and the bad stuff that comes down, we got to pull it up on the bank and leave it alone so it doesn't impact anybody downstream. So that those people that come behind us do not have to suffer some of the things we've suffered. That's what good leaders do. That's what good parents do. That's what good friends do. We lay the baggage down and we make sure we don't pass that on to somebody else. Don't let bad upstream experiences continue through you. Be a filter that just removes those for the people coming behind you. Lesson number three. Announce, acknowledge, and encourage new leaders. David almost messed this one up. David knew Solomon was going to be king. God had told him Solomon was going to be king. Solomon knew he was going to be king, but David had never announced it. In 1 Kings, the first chapter, one of his 19 sons that we know, Adonijah, decides, man, it's time. I think I'm the obvious choice. I should be the next king. And he had gotten in good with some generals and some military people. He was a good-looking guy. And so he throws a big feast and invites a lot of these leaders in the country to this feast so they could go, Adonijah, here's to the next king. Here's to the next king. And so they're having this big party where Adonijah is going to proclaim himself king. Well, Nathan, the prophet, didn't get invited. So he goes to Bathsheba and he goes, you know what's going on, don't you? He said, Adonijah's getting ready to name himself king. And Bathsheba goes into David and said, I thought you said God said Solomon's going to be the king. He is going to be the king. Well, not according to Adonijah. He's having a party. And uh, David quickly recovered. He said, listen, take Solomon, put him on my mule, leading him around so everybody can see that he's riding the king's mule. Go down to Gihon, blow the trumpets, announce Solomon's the king, put him on the throne. From this moment on, he's the king. It's important to announce, to acknowledge, to encourage. Some of us struggle with that when our kids get to be adults, don't we? We still treat them like kids. They're in their 30s. We treat them like they're 10. It's important at some point to announce, (laughs) you're an adult, you know, to acknowledge the good things they do, to encourage them in that. I've always told dads, Girls need your love. Boys need your respect. Every son needs to hear, I, I'm proud of you and I love you. Girls need the security of an arm around them. They just, there's things we can do. And at some point, we acknowledge now that they might be smarter than us. You know? There's no greater compliment than to ask your kids what they think. What do you think I should do? What do you think would be a good choice here? To acknowledge and announce there's a shift in leadership. There's a shift in who's in charge. David in 1 Kings, one of the times he talks to Solomon in between the time he made Solomon king and then when he actually died, David said this to him, take courage and be a man. That's man talk. That's just the way we talk to each other. Man up. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations, and the laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. David didn't just announce and acknowledge and encourage. He also 
passed on or one of the things he encouraged most was his faith. Every time David talks to Solomon, after Solomon became king, he would say, don't forget to follow God. Don't forget to follow God. Don't forget to obey God. Don't forget to obey God. That's God made promises. If you, pro- if you follow God, the promises will be there. And he just continually, one of the greatest things we can do downstream is to remind our kids of our faith, to remind them of God, to remind them of God's goodness, to remind them of the joy of following Jesus, to just encourage them in that and acknowledge them in that and pass that on downstream. It's important to announce and acknowledge and encourage new leaders. Number four, provide the resources you can for success. David's great regret was that he didn't get to build the temple. He was king for 40 years. He was always at war. He's fighting enemies. He's securing the safety of the country. And he wanted to build a temple for God. And God said no. And David, in that moment, could have pouted. He wanted to do something. I want to build this temple. And God says, no. And he goes, well, that's not fair. No, I want Solomon to do it. Well, good luck with that, young whippersnapper. Let's see how he does. I would build a cool temple. I don't know what kind of temple Solomon's going to build. No. He didn't do that. Instead, David, knowing that he couldn't build the temple, said, if I can't build the temple, then I will make sure he's successful in building the temple. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. This is David talking to Solomon. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord said to me, you've killed many men in the battles you fought. And since you've shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build the temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. I'll give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son. I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Or lose heart. David says, you get to build the temple. And he could have stopped right there and said, so good luck. It's a big undertaking. Let's see how you do. Listen to the next three verses. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze it can't be weighed. I've also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need some more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons, carpenters, and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. David not only passed on the right to the temple, he gave him everything to do it with. And if you read the next few chapters there, David even outlined for him the rotation of priests, the rotation of the musicians, where he could build it, how it's going to be laid out. Everything that was there that Solomon had no reason not to immediately start building the temple, and it was successful because of that. One of the things sometimes we have a tendency to do is to withhold things that would bless the people that follow us. 
Somehow we think it's gonna make them look better than us or something, or we say, well, I had to figure it out. They should have to figure it out, you know? And, and they just don't pass those things along. David wanted Solomon to be successful. And downstream, we have that opportunity to bless. David blessed him with people that he knew and stonemasons and people that he blessed him with the resources all, all the, and blessed him with, with knowledge of how to do the temple. Not just that, he blessed him with knowledge on how to leave. There's a, there's a passage where David comes to Solomon a little bit later and it's closer to David's death. And then Solomon's on the throne now, he's the king. And David said, listen, there's three or four people that are real pain to me when I was king. I mean, they were, they were a real problem. And I want you to be aware of that. In fact, I don't think they deserve to grow old. Now, to me, that means David said, you need to kill them and take them out. And Solomon did. David said, these people are a problem. And David wanted to protect Solomon's kingdom and he wanted Solomon to have a healthy start downstream. And he gave him people and he gave him resources and he gave him knowledge so that he could be successful. We have a chance to do that. One of my kids' weddings, I don't remember which one it was. You could probably ask him. It probably scarred him for a long time. Um, we walked by after the wedding and all those gifts were there. They were talking about them or something. I don't remember the details right now. But I said, yeah, you know who gave those to you? And they go, yeah, our friends. I go, your friends don't have any money. Those are from my friends. <laughs> and just want them to know that's what we do. You know, we pass those resources on. Those connections that we have, those resources, I don't hear a lot of it anymore, but just in case it's you or somebody listening, it used to be a big thing that people wanted to save up a lot of money and then give it to their kids when they died. Man, let me encourage you, don't do that. Man, your kids don't need your money when you're 60. They need it when they're 30. They need it when they're young. Your grandkids, if you've got resources that you're saving someday to spend on your family, spend it on them now so they can say thank you. Spend it on them so they can enjoy it with you. If you have something that you know that might make somebody coming behind you, their job easier, then pass it on to them. Downstream, we should always be looking saying, what can I do to make them successful? What can I do to make it good for them? And the last lesson is don't worry about the credit. And it is human knowledge to want recognition, isn't it? I mean, I like to be recognized. I want people to tell me they're doing, you're doing a good job. We all want that. We crave that. And yet at some point, we need to just be happy that somebody else is successful and that things are going well without needing the credit. You know, the temple was there in Jerusalem. They've all that they found, they've rebuilt and all that through the years and archaeologists and all. You know what they haven't found? A plaque that says, David provided the lumber for the temple. <laughs> you know? All this gold from King David. You know, David didn't say, hey, Solomon, I'll give you all this, but I want a room named after me. You know, he, David, David provided all of that for Solomon and never once wanted any credit for it. When people talk about the temple today, what do they say? It's whose temple? Solomon's temple. He's the one that built it. And David was okay with that. There will be people that come behind us, and if we're good leaders, we won't have to be the one to remind them, you know, uh, that their success is our success. You know, that their success, well, they should thank us. And, 
You know, there's, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a young person do well and, and you're going, good job. And then you hear a parent go, ought to be, I taught them. You know, wouldn't be there if it wasn't for me. You know, that have to get that credit. A good leader shift happens when the person who's the leader relishes in the success of the follower, the one who's coming behind. And we need to do that. So what's our takeaway for today? We all want to be that person that downstream people think are blessed because of our lives and decisions we made. So here's the takeaway. Pick one of these lessons, any one of them. Somebody upstream, good. Somebody upstream, not so good. Don't pass it on. Announce, acknowledge, uh, share resources. Uh, don't, whatever it is, pick one and figure out a way to apply it this week. Just pick one and say, I'm going to do this. Some of you grandparents could write every one of your grandkids a check for 100 bucks this week and you wouldn't miss it. Just to say, hey, I just love you. I think, I think you could do something with this. Every one of you could give resources to help somebody coming behind you in your job. You could say, hey, man, you're doing a good job. You know what I learned a few years ago? That if I do this, it just makes it easier. Every one of us could be that leader that makes it better downstream. Let's pick one and do it this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the people in the Bible that were upstream from us years ago and that you share their stories with us, good and bad, for us to learn from. I thank you for people in our lives upstream. God, I thank you for the people that we can bless downstream from us. I thank you for the people that, uh, because of decisions we make today, may be drawn closer to you, Maybe see you, honor you, give their life to you. Father, thank you for opportunities we have to serve. We love you and we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.